are listening to Into the Comics Cave with your host, comic book heartthrob, Grant Stoy. Uh, hello, fellow humans. This is a bad opening. I'm Grant, and uh, we have someone that uh, I've been following for a while, and I'm really excited to talk to her. Uh, we have Kay. She is the like all-around driving creative force of 12, not Z, the webcomic. <laughs> Hi, Kay. How are you? I'm I'm good. Uh, you know, I'll use the regular phrase. You can call it whatever you want. Just don't call it late for dinner. Um, <laughs> so, you know. As a, as it, a is, it is 12 because Roman yeah. numerals are cool when you're fucking 16. And there's 12 girls, so it's a very Zodiac magical story. So, of course, you know. Yeah. Well, just to fuck with people, you should introduce a character named Z. Z. <laughs> I I thought about that. Like honestly, I was gonna like like come up with a future thing called Z, just so that no matter which way you said it, it was right. But then I started selling the books, and people are like, "Oh, where's the first eleven books?" And I had to be like, "Oh no!" <laughs> <laughs> so you know, oh. you learn these things on your face when you're in web comics. So I mean. <laughs> Well, you know, it didn't stop. Uh, what's his nuts? Uh, Robert Jordan. He wrote a bunch of prequels for Wheel of Time. Yeah. No, so I'm can... not going to be Robert Jordan. I'm I'm writing. Just do eleven pre- eleven prequels. It'll <laughs> yeah, be fine. Just eleven prequels. It's a, it's a piece of cake. Week. No, uh, I didn't do well in history, so I am not going to do well writing my own history. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to know something. Number one, first and foremost, where'd you grow up? Uh, okay, so this is going to be fun. Uh, I grew up in the middle of redneck country, um, Trenton, Ontario. And I call it redneck country because it's a military base, but it's surrounded by redneck country. Oh, no. So, um, yeah. So, And it's also the home of serial killer Russell Williams. So that was fun. So it's like if you're if that if Trenton was a gusher, it would be like a poop show with a pee filling. Yeah, no, it, like you know, there isn't much industry there. You know, the base I think is pretty much how it survives as a town. Um, I I think there's some new factory plants that are there. I haven't lived there in like a decade, which is fair. Um, but like it just started to clean itself up oh as gosh. I moved out, and I was like, Oh, thanks, guys, appreciate this. <laughs> now you're cleaning up. You could have told me to leave before this, I would have done it. <laughs> so, what was it like growing up in a place like that? Uh, boring, like, and I, I mean, I'm glad that I was an introvert because, like, mm-hmm. um you know, uh, there wasn't much to do in terms like we were super excited when we got like a flipping skate park. And then we still had people get mad that teenagers were like, using the skate park, because they were loitering in the one place that we were allowed to go to. Uh, You know, there was a nice little movie theater that was there. Uh, I think most of the time we ended up like running through like woodland. um, Because there was like, nothing else to do um and then like teenage years you start breaking into abandoned houses just because there is nothing else to do and you find a prosthetic leg or a jar full of weird stuff or you accidentally run into a homeless person so the next time you go into that house you bring a coffee just in case oh see <laughs> that, that whole thing had a really happy ending i was worried that it was going to be like and you find out the homeless person's been collecting prosthetics and uh jars of urine no, the prosthetic leg was like by itself in the middle of this house. So I don't know why it was there. Um, but my buddies like went back and took it and had to like show people that it actually existed. <laughs> I, I don't even know what they did with it, but you know, um, this is the stuff that you do when like your only options are entertainment are to wander around and or sit at home. Uh, and I didn't have the internet until I was like in college. So, um, but now you can say things like, I used to break into abandoned homes yeah. and run through the wilderness. <laughs> it sounds far more badass than being like, I used to uh, 
with the TV guide. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can only do it when you're under the age of 18, because once you're older, <laughs> you can't do it anymore because that's trespassing and you go to jail. <laughs> true. Very true. <laughs> so no. do it while you're young, kids. That's when you should break into abandoned buildings. This is the takeaway from this episode. Exactly. <laughs> and were you into like reading and writing and, and basically art in general as a kid? Or is that something that kind of grew on you as you grew older? Um, like I've always been like an artist. Um like uh I think I did art, but I didn't really like have a connection with it. It was just something that I was good at. So like it was something that I did to get extra marks at school and that kind of stuff. Um but when I started uh, high school, that was when I got introduced into manga and I was already super big into animation. Um, so once manga showed up, I was just like, you know, like hounding, like, and I, my library didn't have it. So I would literally spend hundreds of dollars at chapters being the only person buying manga in my entire school. And then like, we would trade them we would trade like you we essentially became like this weird like trading library of manga so everyone could read something because right. someone else was buying it um because again like it took for like i was leaving when my library finally got a um a manga section so was I'm your here. town really spiteful towards you or it's like all right she's finally going let's fix everything <laughs> i I don't know. I'm assuming that's when like something must have happened that I don't know about that like actually brought money into the area. For all I know, some mafia don died and people <laughs> could finally like buy like actual land and build on it. Cause like there was a there's a marina there that's that's kind of famous. Um and uh it it had like not been built up for probably like centuries. It just like stayed this like blah marina with a tim hortons on the corner um and then it wasn't so at all bad. yeah no you got your <laughs> timmies oh, oh um <laughs> and then uh they built up the infrastructure of it of course when i was leaving um but now like tourists come to stop at the marina because it's it's at the bottom of this big lock chain so okay. you can go do different locks which is where they change the level of the water so you slowly go down from like all the way down the Trenton River, which I think takes you all the way up to Kingston. I could oh, be really? wrong. Um, but that's like a 45 minute drive. And you can, I think you can go even further, but like it's it's actually now like a tourist attraction and Trenton has finally cleaned itself up. So you can go downtown and now there's a bunch of hipster places. So I actually have little places like uh, coffee shops and really expensive tapas to buy, <laughs> which I did not expect to show up in Trenton, but there we are. So oh, that's wild. Have you yeah. do you go back there frequently? Do your does your family still live there? Uh yeah, my parents still live there. Uh my dad was a corporate for life. Um <laughs> so <laughs> and he made sure he stayed that way. Uh so we didn't actually have to move as much as most military families. Oh nice. Um yeah, so you know, um it worked out for us cuz our school didn't get messed up and shifted around and we didn't have to make friends all the time. Um and uh of course most of the places is, is full of other military people so yeah no it's just it's kind of cool and i go visit them every once in a while and you know hide the bitterness of this new evolved place yeah i mean i i'm glad that i have disposable income because mm, yeah. <laughs> i mean it would suck wandering around as a teenager and being like wow this is so expensive <laughs> i guess <laughs> now there's places to look at and back to back to the manga. I'm curious, like, what were you reading back then? Uh, I hate to say it now, but Rurouni Kenshin was my okay. favorite uh, story um, until some news came out about the artist not being a great person. Mm. Um, but uh, the story itself was one of the first manga that I really got into, and part of the reason why I really enjoyed it is because it was one of those shonen manga that didn't sexualize its female characters. And like yeah. it, for me, like it's not, it's obviously not the release at the same time as in Japan. So we were later, but um, Kenshin was like right at the same time as Naruto. And, uh, you know, Naruto literally turned into a big breasted woman in magic and naked all the time. And it was just kind of like, okay, there's the fan service. Yeah. And I was like so used to it that like Kenshin specifically was a historical period drama about the Meiji era 
there was always like neat little snippets of the history of Japan, which was really cool because you could like read about the American influence during that time that I wasn't even aware of, um, you know, and like the Dutch colonies and that kind of stuff. And like, but uh, yeah, so I was really into Rooney Kenshin and a big part of that was the lack of fan service, but also the fact that like the main character was very anti-masculine. Yeah. Like, um, so he plays, he's a wandering samurai and um, part of his thing was that he was like the super killer assassin. Um, but now he just spends his time like doing chores around this little dojo and like taking care of the kids and like, you know, trying to teach, um, well, I can't remember her name, Karu, Karu, um, like how to better get better at like kendo and that kind of stuff. And like, they make like this little found family um and it was it was but like his past keeps coming back and that's where all of the drama comes in because he just he's trying to atone for all of the people that he killed right. um because like he comes he essentially comes out of the revolution with this idea that um you know there's no point in burning down an old world because you should salvage the world that you have and like mm -hmm. you know like make that better as opposed to burning everything down um, which obviously is give or take whatever your political stance is, but I found it like compared to most shonen manga, which is like, you know, really hardcore, like believe it, fight the power for magic will or friendship will solve everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's way more of a like uh politics are complicated, you can't escape your past. Uh and trying to atone is um like worthwhile but at the same time it doesn't fix everything which i thought was a way more complicated story than most most other books that i read which was like even other teen uh stuff that i was reading at the time just did not have that kind of level of nuance that i appreciate more as an adult obviously but right. like to have it in something for teenagers was kind of interesting did you find that the that those kind of themes translated well enough to the anime like enough to appease uh your discerning eye because you know you get way more out of out of the books than you do from any sort of screen adaptation yeah um the books are the books are the clean version the anime i feel like it was kind of especially the first season was kind of like weirdly restrained by the 26 episode format and there was not enough in the first arc to really fill in that time. So there's like a lot of really weird filler that you can only really appreciate when you're younger. Um, so trying to watch it again as an adult is very aggravating. And like, so, sometimes I feel like the only way I could get through it is because I have nostalgia for it. Oh. Um, <laughs> which, you know, like it is targeted for kids. So right. like that makes sense. Um, but then like, see the series two shows up and like the whole coin flips like Kenshin is dealing specifically with the fact that another assassin is coming up and building this whole political regime to destroy the era that they've just started creating politically in its infancy. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it gets really intense <laughs> because suddenly like Kenshin is surrounded by his past everywhere yeah. and uh, he can't escape it. And like, he does get to view a lot of the damage that, um, he sees uh, the third season has nothing to do with the manga and is terrible and boring and has like one good episode. So that's the <laughs> Mr. Artist episode. Um, but it it's like this weird, like pseudo Christianity, Japan thing. And I think it was technically trying to talk about the topic of Christians in Japan during the Meiji era. Okay but it was not handled well or interestingly in any way, shape or form. So Ooh. it just, you just kind of slog through it. Um, and then the final arc in the manga is actually about visiting the very core of Kenshin himself, which is you find out about Tomo, who was his first wife. Um, and they were originally kind of doing like the spy family uh, thing where um, they were together simply so that he had like an alibi right. so he was married and he was in the woods and he had like a very specific job to do um so he could hide out as an assassin um and like they start falling in love with each other 
Um, but spoilers, uh, Tomo ends up dying. Um, specifically because like she was part of an assassination plot against him. And then like as she falls in love with him, she wants to change her mind and it gets really complicated and it makes it hard to do. Um, <clears throat> and then of course her brother sees her die in Kenjin's arms. So he immediately assumes that Kenjin killed her. Mm -hmm. And then he comes back in the final arc to be like, I'm going to seek my revenge. And it's like Kenjin's hardest battle because of all the emotions and he doesn't know how to deal. So um, that got turned into like three movies. Okay. Samurai X films. Um, and I actually really enjoy the first Samurai X film called Trust and Betrayal um, because it is such a standalone film that you can watch it by yourself and not need to watch the entire series. Oh, that's rad. Yeah. And then you get all like this really neat historical drama about, you know, this kid that grows up to be an assassin and all this kind of stuff. So you don't need like, it's almost like a companion piece. Like you can show this to someone and be like, this is the most crucial part of this manga. So if you like this, you will like the manga. <laughs> <laughs> and how influenced were you by Rona Kenshin and just kind of like manga in general? Uh, I, I would say that especially for 12, uh, Magic Knight Rare Earth was probably the biggest influence. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a magical girl manga. Uh, it's done by Clamp. Um, you have these three girls and they get transported to another world and then they find out that they're called by the Magi and they have to do, um, they have to save the princess um, because it's a, it's a world of will. And um, so only the people with the strongest will can like save the world and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but like it has all of the, it was magical girls, but with swords, it was Sailor Moon and they had giant mecha suits and it was just kind of like, Okay, this is everything that I love about Shonen Manga <laughs> with girls in it, and it's cool. So <laughs> that kind of like, like got a special place in my heart specifically for that that manga. And um, it's like one of the the lesser known Magical Girl stories. So like mm -hmm. people in Magical Girls know about it, but like you talk about it, and everyone knows about Sailor Moon or Tokyo Mimu or or. Um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Precure, which is the biggest one right now. Um, so you'll bring this up and like you just kind of find your people that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's rad though to have like an esoteric thing that there's other people. Yeah, yeah, no. Because uh, like as soon as you bring up like Magic Knight Rayearth in certain forums, like people will be like, oh, I love that show. You actually know what it is. Because <laughs> like trying to find the art book, trying to find any material from it is like really hard to find. Really? Um, yeah, no, like, um, like even the figures that they had of the girls was discontinued. Um, they just released the mechas for the very, very first time in its entire existence. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and I bought those as soon as I found them, but I'm mad that I can't buy the girls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so goodbye, $300. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, it was like a huge inspiration to me because it was just like this like like blend your genres like do whatever the heck you want like if you want girl stories to be just girls then write stories that are just about girls because up till that point most of the stuff i was exposed to was like always mixed or just a token girl mm -hmm. so like justice league which was uh like 2000 or whatever so that was like my usual like baseline um you know, and then of course, like it's clamp, so they're just like, you know, you can be super vulnerable and do the girly thing, and then you can also like give them giant fuck off swords and yeah. beat the living daylights out of monsters if you want to. And it's just like, okay, no, this works. This works. <laughs> I've seen it. I I am jesting it, and it works. So yeah, no, um, lots of big stuff about that. Um, obviously, one of its inspirations is Harry Potter, but I don't really want to talk about that. I don't um, think anyone does at this point in time. No, it's so, it's so depressing. It it's it is awful because like I was a massive fan uh, uh -huh. to the point where like I even went to the studio to to go see like in in England they have like oh, this wow. massive like WB studio. So I went to go see all of the props and stuff and like that's that's the intensity that I was at. And then it was just like oh she's turf I guess. 
I have so much paraphernalia in my house, and I have to never look at this again. <laughs> okay. It seems extra, extra disheartening just because it's like all the work that everyone else put into the movies. And yeah. <laughs> like it's all, all this stuff is just, it no, doesn't and feel it's, right watching it now. It's one of those things where like you can appreciate aspects because there is so much craftsmanship going on. And especially as like, if you're a Jim Henson fan, like, I would still recommend you go to the um, Harry Potter studio in the UK. I like the Lou Grade stuff. Sorry? Uh, I'm trying to remember the, the British producer of Jim Henson. Like Lord Lord Lou Grade or something? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, but like, I did not realize how much puppetry was in the film. Um, oh. So like, there was a lot of like CG elements, but I didn't realize how much like, background puppetry had been made so I there was like all, like all of these like animatronic spiders they had like an actual like physical models of doby and different like shapes and stuff like that and like of course like the wardrobes are just fantastic like you can see all of the little details that they've put into these um costumes that you would never see in the film because you're never that close right um so like if you like that kind of stuff like it's definitely worth going to um but yeah other than that that's about it oh. um and unfortunately they closed the doctor who museum in cardiff so i got to see that before it shut down <laughs> but that was about it <laughs> i guess the, the there's a silver lining on there at some point i guess yeah <laughs> uh so when did you start wanting to make your own books so I have been back and forth in 12, probably since high school. Oh, wow. And obviously it has made a massive amount of change between high school me and after college me. Um, but it's, it's had several iterations. I think at one point I had like 40 pages drawn of this pencil sketch that obviously like went nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, and I had like such a hard time like starting and getting somewhere and then I would want to fix it or I would want to rewrite it. And it just like it was overwhelming in the fact that like it just felt like it could never go forward. Mm -hmm. um, and I had been fighting with this for a while. And 2013 was when I decided that I was going to sit down and write it to the end, no matter how bad it was. So I had this screenplay book called um, Save the Cat by Blake Snyder. Um, which was useful to me because I had come out of animation. Mm -hmm. So being able to view it from the, the perspective of someone writing for a movie actually made things click a lot more than trying to read how to write books because they're either too vague or too specific. And it can be really intimidating as a new writer to just write. Um, yeah. And what I liked about Save the Cat was it was just like, here's 22 points hit those 22 beats. That's all you have to do. And you'll have a story. It'll be terrible, but you have a beginning, a middle and an end and a climactic thing. And you'll start to understand like where, how stories are built in like their most basic form. Um, and of course, if you're familiar with a lot of movies, you end up absorbing most of that by os osmosis anyways. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah, I did the, the black, black, Blake Snyder beat sheet. Um, and uh, I did it. I had a story. I could technically say that I wrote a, I obviously it was like 22 bullets, but I was like, the story is done. And like, just knowing that the story was technically already done in some form, just like clicked this part of my brain where it was just like, okay, so if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, you did something. You did, you made, you made the thing that you said that you were going to do from beginning to end, even if it's only 22 bullets. <laughs> <laughs> how, how like vibratingly triumphant did you feel though? Uh, I felt like super lame that it had taken me oh. like 23 years to figure out that I just needed to write bullet points. Uh, but I mean, again, it's one of those things where like you're constantly growing up and especially if you've taken a creative writing course, which I oh. failed with like flying colors. Really? Um, yeah, no, I couldn't keep up because the demand for short stories was just so intense. 
that I couldn't, like my brain just couldn't wrap itself around writing short stories. Um, and the kinds of stories that I did write uh, were always seen as too fantastical or like the genres were usually fantasy leaning or I didn't describe the characters enough um, because at the time I was reading a lot of Redwall. So like to me to say a cat is holding a sword, I just picture a cat standing up on its hand legs holding a sword. But to literally other people who had never experienced anthropomorphism mm -hmm. somehow, amazingly, uh, they were like, I didn't know how your cat was holding the sword. And I was like, well, paws. it has paws. So it holds it in its right paw. And he's like, oh, I thought he was on like all fours. And so I thought it was holding the sword in its mouth. And I was like, oh, there's a massive disconnect here that I just never, <laughs> just didn't know about. Cause you just, this person like obviously was not, was in completely different interest realms than I was. And the only thing we had in common was writing stories. But I mean, you gotta come across some anthropomorphism like accidentally at some point. <laughs> I, no. I I honestly like don't I don't know I mean I I have been in the animation industry long enough to meet people who don't like to watch films with talking animals because animals can't talk and I never knew I did not know that was a thing that people could be on the fence about but you can I don't know if it's a religious thing I don't know if it's just like you're so logically brained that 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 simple bout of surrealism is is not enough to keep you entertained. Um, so yeah, so that's that's been my weirdest uh, animation experience. Um, and of course, like I did grow up in a religious household, so like magic is also weird to some people. And it's mm -hmm. just like you learn very quickly that you can't satisfy everyone's needs, and that there are like certain like people lean certain ways that you don't expect them to with yeah. writing so and obviously you don't want to over explain yourself but yeah, you know yeah. if someone's just like i didn't get it it's just like okay maybe you're just one of those people i don't know <laughs> here's a non-fiction book enjoy yeah no have some drama um, i'm curious uh were you primarily digital like from the get-go or you said you you did sketch pages at first 40 pages of, of sketches yeah so okay so i have always had to use obviously traditional materials growing up because that's what you're given access to mm. before you can actually afford like your own tablet. Um, and especially the fact that tablets as they are now did not exist when I was in college. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they were literally impossible to get your hands on unless you were working in a studio already. Um, and even then, like, you know, the resolution that you have now is nothing like what you were working about, even in the two thousands. Yeah. So like, um, I have this weird tick where I hate the sound of pencil on paper. So unless the granite in the pencil is very smooth and very soft and the, the paper is very smooth, um, the sound of the scratching literally like aggravates me and stops me from drawing because like I will, oh, no. I will do it and I will do it very loosely. But like if I have to go into like shaded detail, like I, I will use a ballpoint pen over using a pencil every time just because there's no scratching sound. Wow. Yeah. So I've never met anyone else with that tick. I don't know. I don't know if anybody else has it. If you do, shout out at me on Twitter because I don't want to be alone anymore. But um <laughs> I I as soon as I got my hands on a digital tablet, I was just like, this is it. This is this is what I'm doing from now on. So <laughs> it will cost me an arm and a leg, but this is how I will make my art. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, so like, um, and I can still use traditional materials. Like, I prefer to paint with acrylics and that kind of stuff. But oh, okay. When it comes to comic stuff, like, I really cannot use a pencil to save my life. So, um, digital was the only way to erase things, um, and it has a beautiful undo button. And also, I'm very lazy as an artist. So, uh, the fact that Clip Studio Paint lets me take so many shortcuts is <laughs> like. Like people wonder how I get stuff so fast. And I'm just like, I will go through that entire documentation just to make sure that I save five minutes of my time because you do not understand how lazy I am when it comes to making art. I do not want to draw the same thing twice. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's one of the benefits of doing digital than over traditional. So maybe your tick was a blessing in disguise. Fingers crossed. So... <laughs>
Oh yeah, nobody can see this. Fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't worry, we always forget it's not a visual medium. <laughs> Hello there, my name is Don Cardenas, and I'm here to invite you to check out my podcast, the 2021 Granty Award-winning Comics Coffee Medal, where I interview creatives in, around, and about the worlds of, you guessed it, Comics Coffee and Metal. I've already had such amazing guests on my show, including, but not limited to, Liana Kangas, Mike Norton, John O'Diener, Michael Conrad, Sophie Campbell, Guitar Max Carlisle, Andrew Baina, and of course, the word bros themselves, Bob and Kevin. Comics Coffee Metal is available on all the major podcast services, and you can find it directly at comicscoffeemetal.com. I hope to see you there, and now I return you to Into the Comics Cave with the amazing, awesome, talented, um... Tall, handsome, uh, what else did I say? Definitely over six feet tall, smells good like lavender and motorcycle grease. Is that right? Motorcycle grease? Alright. Grant Stoy. There, I said it. Get my money now. Uh, so, okay, I, I have a question for you. Yeah. Let's say that you are visited by a, a very hungry uh, genie person, and you're what presented person? a genie person. Genie a genie type. person. Okay. Because we don't want to say it's a genie because it's only giving you a stupid scenario. Okay. So you are given the option between whenever you cry, you cry soup, and whenever you throw up, you're throwing up donuts. You oh, I will take one. the cried soup over the donuts any day because I hate donuts. Really? I am not a fan of donuts. Um, like, and I think it's because Tim Hortons has ruined donuts. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm starting a flame war on here with my bold move. moves. Um, but yeah, uh, I am the person that likes either the plain sour cream, old fashioned Ooh, yeah. kind of style of donut. Everything, as soon as you put chocolate on it, as soon as you put sugar glaze on it, I loathe it because it is so sweet and I hate it. And it has just gotten worse with time. Whereas like the old fashioned donuts have like that very specific texture and like you can find them at like a state fair or whatever. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and people make them by hand and then all I have to do is ask them for no sugar and then I get my little deep fried donut treat. Um, so for me, um it's gonna be the soup because there's plenty more soups that i will consume uh before i consume donuts so but what if the scenario is you're crying like hearty clam chowder or you vomit up those uh, like delicious crispy on the outside soft on the inside uh stay fair donuts okay so now you're changing the rules of the game because now we're talking about quality of what is happening between these two things it was a very general scenario going into it um i won't mind the clam chowder if it's from halifax and it has lobster bits in it Ooh, oh dang yeah okay and since i'm canadian i can make that call so <laughs> i'm just very jealous because uh i'm in new england and i've only had clam chowder with just like clams i want <laughs> I want clam chowder with lobster bits now. Yeah, no, uh, you need to go for like a clam chowder that's more of a seafood chowder, opposed oh. to just clams, and then you'll find more stuff in there. That's or so just I don't know, go to go to Acadia or something and bug the Cajuns and get some decent fucking seafood. <laughs> like, come on, bro, give me give me the good lobster. Exactly, spice it up. I don't <laughs> want to taste my tongue. <laughs> No, and and when you're crying, do you imagine yourself like pushing pieces of like potato and stuff, like helping it out of your eyes? Uh, no. I I imagine that it's been like hand blended, <laughs> and then I just pour, and then I just hold a piece of bread under my chin, and then <laughs> it it falls into the bread, and then I just eat the bread. So. Which, how would you make yourself cry all the time? Because this sounds delicious. Joke's on you. I cry all the time. Because <laughs> I'm a big baby and the world sucks. So world, I just cry about it. You just cry your little chowder tears and yeah. you have a wonderful day. Oh, man. You've got this all figured out. Yeah, see? And then if even if I can't cry that day, 
uh i'll just like stab myself in the leg with like a screwdriver or something and then i'll cry <laughs> You're like man this is such a good day but i i, I could really go for some chowder. <laughs> i just need some clam chowder today. <laughs> it's like what 36 degrees outside i don't know what that is in fahrenheit i'm sorry you guys are weird no um, america's horrible in terms of <laughs> in terms of temperatures and distance and measurement well, I mean, Canadians are fucked up because we don't we don't actually use uh, distance to measure things. We measure things in time. Oh no, that's what we do in Michigan. Oh, uh, you do it in Michigan too? Yeah, uh, I lived in Michigan for like thirty eight years. So it's, oh, that's a half an hour away. And yeah. I say that out here, and everyone's like, I don't understand that. Yeah, no, and it's just, it's just like, oh yeah, it's forty five kilometers away. How how do you know that? Well, <laughs> if it's on the highway then it's definitely 45 kilometers away <laughs> but if you're going into like trans canada highway then it's probably two hours away and i don't know what speed you're going at so <laughs> so you, you'll get there in two hours yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah michigan's just like a very pleasant uh, uh the most can canadian of american places oh excellent <laughs> And okay, now that we've got that nonsense out of the way, I'm going to ask you five questions that we ask every guest. Uh -oh. uh, they are derived from James Lipton's Inside the Actor's Studio, which some people have heard of, some people have not. Nope. That's A-OK. -okay. He was a really weird guy. So, <laughs> going into it. Dang, I gotta, like, up my weirdness. <laughs> uh, if you're gonna look up James Lipton, watch Will Ferrell as James Lipton first. Okay. When you see real James Lipton, you're like, oh, I get it. This is like you need to watch the Ed Wood movie before you watch Ed Wood movies. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. So num number one, uh, what is your favorite sequential arts sound effect? Ah, oh, that's a tricky one. Um, I think Fwomp is my favorite. And it's because like it's it's loud it's usually like a loud thud mm -hmm. but like just soft enough to know to let you know that there's like grass underneath it yeah or like you get like the slight little delicate at the end that kind of like smooths it out so when yeah. i if i do like a whoomp like the obviously the w and h are massive and then it just kind of trails off so i like that little like almost like a pipe aesthetic for the whoomp See, I like this because you're an artist and a writer, so it seems much more nuanced when you're describing it. Oh, <laughs> I can make it more complicated. No, 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 this uh, is great. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, uh, what is something you love about sequential art? I love that sequential art can almost expand beyond the medium that it's a part of. Um, and I say that because I have done so many different ways of making a story. I've done storyboards, I've done animation, I've done 3D, 2D, I've done like storyboards for simulations, I've done comic books, I've done, I've attempted prose a few times, uh, poetry, like they're all different. I've even done some movies like with me and a few of my friends messing around. Um, so. The idea is simply that you have a sequence of events and uh, especially in the world of web comics that you're not restricted by what that is. It's like mm -hmm. comics, you're, you're kind of, at least print comics, you're restricted by the medium of print. Um, you know, uh, animation, you're kind of restricted in the sense of time um, and, and like the, the, your screen and that kind of thing. But like specifically web comics, if you have a bit of coding knowledge, if you have a bit of artistry, if you have a bit of writing power, you can make whatever you want. Um, a good example is a friend of mine. Uh, she's a Mura. She writes a comic called Osirillo. She puts the web in web comic. Like, you know, uh, each chapter has its own very specific design motif. Um, every time and it reflects the mood of the entire chapter so like it's not like you're reading on webtoons where everything is the exact same you actually like feel like you're traveling along the story she puts in like little gifs 
where there's movement that happens and some of it is nice and subtle, some of it is really extreme, but it'll be in a single panel, whether or not it's like, she'll have like a soldier and then like this alien head just like comes into focus. Um, she's also broken like the, the borders of her content so that this giant alien can actually breaks through the the constraints of the regular borders of the comic oh, and then cool. like actually like fades down and it's so like she is so fucking intelligent and i just i can't stop talking about her work enough because i as much as i do work i wish i could have that level of like i don't even know what to call it just like finesse and craftsmanship um you know or like you know just obsession like over like how it's it's displayed both in print and in in web um i'm not that <laughs> motivated to do stuff in web but like you know web comics was where like things really got big for me because again you could play video games in the middle of a of a comic uh you know there's massive scroll comics that act like animation um you know there's point and click there's parallaxing there's like this whole realm that just combines every medium i've ever explored in some of these comic books or web comics and it just it just makes me realize that you know the only thing that it has in common with any other media is the fact that it is a sequential story and that's that's it like it could literally just be text that you scroll through with poetry and little images and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's just one of those things where like, you know, you're really only limited by your in curiosity. Like you just have to not want to explore things and you're restricted. And that's like, that always is just like, this is, this is what humanity is best at, you know, mm -hmm. it's best at breaking barriers it's best at breaking the rules. It's best at finding the same core threads of our existence since like our most primal identities and just expanding them in such a way that like if we're wizards, we're communal wizards because you need an entire society to make these things. And it's just, it's awesome. I love it. The good kind of wizards that don't have any terps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on, the, on the other side of this question, um, what is something you dislike about uh, sequential art? And this is just kind of like a broad question. It can really refer to anything. Um, that's even harder to, to answer. Um, I would say the term itself is probably the most limiting part of sequential art. Okay. Um, and I mean that because when you tell somebody that you're like, I am a generalist first and foremost in almost like every realm of digital art there is. Like I've done so many different kinds of stuff. I've done games, simulations, animation, uh, comic books. Like I've done all of these different things. And the only thing that I can tell people that I do in one word is sequential art. And nobody knows what that means unless you do it. Huh. So like... They have, it has very little reference outside of the communities. It's almost like the term cartoonist. Like, unless you're in publishing, saying you're a cartoonist immediately has this idea of like drawing like Sunday comics and that's yeah. it. You know, you can't say you're a cartoonist and you draw Marvel. Nobody's going to associate that with you. You can't say you're a cartoonist and that you draw Amulet, um, the graphic novel series, uh, you know, because people, unless you're in the publishing industry, they don't necessarily associate with that with you. Um, and it gets even more confusing because like, um, you know, uh, depending on how your team is working, you're either a cartoonist or you're a team with an artist and a writer, or you can have several different people throughout the stages, like in traditional Cape comics. Um, so when you say like you're a sequential artist, the best thing I can say is I can do anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good answer. I've never really thought about that before. Yeah. So, I mean, that, and I've only ran into that problem because when I started joining writers groups who are primarily about writing prose, um, 
they'd be like, so what do you do? And I'd be like, uh, I guess I'm a sequential artist. And they'd be like, uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> if you can put it in a sequence and it has art attached to it, <laughs> I can do it. Guess what? <laughs> well, uh, to get back to a more positive sense, what is your favorite curse word that's not actually a curse word? Uh, I'm going to steal it from Centaur World. I'm a huge fan of What the Flonk. Okay, um, yeah. Because, like, now I have nephews and I have to stop swearing like a sailor, which doesn't work because my husband is military and I'm surrounded by military. So, uh, swearing happens all the time. And mm -hmm. you pick up on it, whether you want to or not. And especially in the current political climate, it's very nice to be able to relieve yourself with the odd fuck and shit yeah. um <laughs> so i was watching uh centaur world and they were i thought they said what the fuck and i was like what is happening netflix <laughs> and then i had to like i was looking at the subtitles and they were like what the fuck and i was like oh that's so good i'm going to try and weasel that in if i ever swear in front of my nephews because i i need i need something um and then i i, I think a close second was from the um broken earth trilogy and uh they use what the rust okay. um because it's all about minerals and like different properties of minerals and it's basically like earth benders but it's the entire society um is the most basic way i can explain it um and uh like rust is the term that they use to swear all the time which i thought was very cute <laughs> um you, you know because it's just that that one thing where like especially when you're reading it in an audiobook and you can hear the reader really getting into it and mm -hmm. using it like a general swear word it just it just sounds really cute and fun as a world building tool so all right i like that yeah uh, and also i think it's funny that with all the weird nonsense that centaur world throws at you it's the potential that they might have said what the fuck that was going to yeah. give you pause. Yeah, no, it's an insane show. So I was like, not, I, I mean, I would have given them the benefit of the doubt because oh. like, sure, why not? <laughs> you don't have any restrictions. <laughs> well, Kay, I, I have some bad news for you. Oh, no. See, that uh, prosthetic leg you found. Uh-oh. It actually was not a prosthetic leg. It was from the world's first uh, living mannequin. Oh. And this mannequin has been getting itself back together. And now it's out for revenge. And it found you. And uh, it, it kind of suffocated you with donuts while you slept. So oh. now, now you're dead. I'm sorry. Oh, well, I mean, the webcomic is already scheduled till its ending. So it'll <laughs> keep going. So. Well, that, that's good then. Uh, <laughs> but you are transported to what most would perceive as heaven. And while you're waiting to get into the gates, you see up to the corner, there's this smallish, oldish man uh, in a wife beater sitting in front of a drafting table, smoking a cigar, furrowed eyebrows, and drawing thousands of tiny little crackle type things and it's actually jacob kurtzberg aka jack kirby the okay. father of modern comics uh what do you hope he says to you uh nice tits bro Oh, Jack, you smooth talker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, I've done like 30 of these things, and that might be one of my most favorite answers. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know what? No notes. Perfect. <laughs> Nailed the landing. No notes. Okay, thank you for, for joining me today. Where can folks find you on the socials? So you can find uh, my work at xiicomic.com. It is 12 comic, or you can call it Z comic. I don't care. Just go and read it. Uh, it updates six days a week, and it'll be finishing in September. And then I will be releasing my second series in January, 
which uh, will get you off of that cliffhanger from the trilogy series. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter at Batichi Kristen. Um, also uh, B-A-T-I-C-H-I-K-R-I-S-T-E-N um, or at Z Comic on Twitter, XII Comic. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram under Kristen, uh, Batichi Kristen, so you can find me there as well. Um, and I think that's about the relevant places that I still haunt. Um, yeah. If folks were to, to throw monies at you, where how would they do that? Uh, well, they can go to zcomic.com and buy my books. Please buy my books. I have lots of books. You can also buy them at bookshop.org or Walmart or Chapters or Indigo or any of your popular bookstores because I managed to get them through that way. So you can actually buy them anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but the best deal is through my uh, my website. Right so, thank you. And see you at TCAF uh, January 18th or July. Blah. June 18th. June. June. <laughs> I'm in Canada. There's only two seasons. Well, you know, it's the whole American time difference is just wacky as well. <laughs> Five months. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This has been a Comic Book Yeti production. You can find new episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere podcasts stream. For more information on the Comic Book Yeti, please visit comicbookyeti.com. And for more of Grant, visit grantstoy.com or on Twitter at Grant and Stuff. <laughs>